Start date. What is the start date? 10.222020. Welcome to Star Trek Discovery Pod, a kind of smart, kind of funny podcast about new Star Trek and beyond. I'm your reluctant captain, Mike Garcia. With me on the view screen, we have Mariah Gossett, Clyde Haynes, and Grant Davis. We're back covering Discovery Season 3. Uh, on this live pod, we'll be reviewing and breaking down episode two of season three, Far From Home. And if nobody's got a Spider-Man joke, I'll move on. Um, webs. Nope, I don't. <laughs> no. Nope. Um, <laughs> Crash and burn. Crash I mean, <laughs> you should have one, Grant. I mean, there's like a Spider-Man mask directly behind your head. I know. Dropping the ball. Aren't they doing a movie with all of the recent Spider-Mans all together? I saw that yeah, announcement. It, it seems like they're going to do some sort of multiverse thing. Yeah, that's a rumor. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, wrong show. Wrong, wrong show. Uh, before we dive into our review of Season 3, Episode 2 of Discovery, Mariah, can you tell everyone how they can support the podcast? Yes. So if you are watching us live on YouTube, that is great. We appreciate it. But the other thing you can make sure you've done is subscribe to the audio version of this podcast. We are available in Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. If there is a way to leave us a review on that site, do that too. We would appreciate it. And you can find links to all of our subscription channels at StarTrekPod.co. Following on the heels of that, I want to remind you guys that you can help support this little podcast venture of ours by going to patreon.com slash star trek pod there you can make your per episode pledge what does that mean that means that you say hey guys i like i like the cut of your jib i want to give you two bucks an episode we post probably about uh four buck four episodes a month so that you're looking at like what eight bucks a month and in exchange you get access to our exclusive slack channel which is just this this group forum where you can join and chat with other trekkies that all also like our podcast and love trek come chat with them and we also try and do a little bonus exclusive content just for y'all just for you guys um we just spoke about uh the movie star trek beyond in a patreon exclusive and that wrapped up our review of the kelvin universe oh hey big screen big time me now (laughs) um and we would love to have you guys uh, be able to listen to that, join everyone else on the Slack channel, and uh, help support us, because um, we need your money. <laughs> I don't know what to money, say please. Um, <laughs> money, please. <laughs> anyway, that is patreon.com slash Star Trek pod. Thank you for all of your support. I got to agree with Grant on that. You know, the, the Slack channel is great. Um, I love the fact that we can talk to each other, just like, you know... Every Thursday night, we get to come here and talk about Trek live with all of you. So, you know, if you are watching us live, if you're watching us on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitch, wherever you're watching us, what's fun about talking to us live is that you can participate in the conversation. So if you type in capital P, capital O, capital D into the chat, we will take a look at what you're saying, and we might even read it live on uh, the episode toward the later la- later end of the episode. So you can participate with us in the community live. You're yes. so distracting, Grant. <laughs> <laughs> so many snacks. Looks I'm good. I'm pouring beer all over myself, eating <laughs> M&Ms here. Yeah. Good job. Yes, and for I want to talk to all the new viewers and listeners. Thank you so much for joining us on the pod. I thought I'd just take a sec. Uh, to let you know just what we do 
on this podcast because... You know what we do. <laughs> I'm trying to frame what we're going to do from now on. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is a message for us. Okay, yes. got okay. it. Okay, uh, listening, listen up, listening. So, yeah, we, we, all, we try to do something a little different, a little unique on this pod. There's a lot of hate going around um, in the Star Trek community, I've noticed, but we're not haters. We're not trolls. Our agenda is not to hate on new Star Trek like a lot of other unhappy fucks on the internet. Uh, we, didn't, we did not go through the trouble of starting this pod to like rile up the worst part of the fan base and like monetize, monetize their hate, fear, insecurity. And that being said, we are Trek fans, but we're also not just here to fawn over every episode of Star Trek or or flatter the creators of New Trek. Maybe Grant is. Uh, what we offer is a fun, positive discussion and criticism, even celebration of Trek, but it's always honest. And that's what's important to us, being honest on the pod. We love Star Trek. We're fans. We're here to celebrate Trek in a genuine way, and we're super happy you decided to join us. That sound good? Hear, hear. Hurrah. All right. All right. You ready, Bobcats? <laughs> I'm not wow. on enough drugs for that. <laughs> nope. <laughs> it's time to dive into Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 2, Far From Home, not a Spider-Man movie. Just like the premiere, this ep was written by Michelle Paradise. The uh, She's a showrunner right now, now mm-hmm. right? She's yeah. Co-showrunner, yeah. Co-showrunner. And Jenny Lumet and the big man Alex Kurtzman, directed by Olatunde Osun Sanmi. Uh, This is the one in which we catch up with the rest of the disco crew after they cross the the time wake. Okay. As you might know, this is Star Trek Discovery Pod, so we don't do hot takes. We do hot freaks. Hot freaks! Nice. All right. um, I want to hear Clyde. What do you think about this episode, Clyde? Uh, As much as I loved last week's episode, I thought this one was good. Not necessarily great um but i thought it was it, it was a i'll call it a bridge episode i think to get to what this season's going to be about we needed to understand what the crew was doing and kind of the journey that they went on um i think it was interesting that we got to see some tension between saru and giorgio which i mean can you have two we'll call them captains in air quotes that are as opposite as those two are um and i think we got introduced to a a new big bad that was a little frustrating i'm like you've got this big bad kill them early and save yourself the headache (laughs) um so that was recurring character yeah so that's gonna be fun um but no, I thought it was a good episode. Um, I was interested in seeing some of the dynamics. Uh, and Jet Reno was hysterical in every single scene. So the, the, I'm, I'm, I'm going to enjoy the, the play between uh, Jet and Stamets all season. So um, I, I did think I, f- I felt like I missed something. This transition from Culber to being, yeah, I need some space, to, oh, I'm so in love with you, Stamets, was like, did... It's trauma. Did I, when did that happen? Trauma. Did I miss something? I mean, just, I was like, uh, hmm, okay. Work for me. 
I'm of course. Uh, but no, all, all in all, I thought it was a really good episode. Um, but it, it just makes me want to see more. Agreed. All right. Uh, who's next? Mike, you want to, you want to go? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I agree with Clyde. I like this episode a lot. I liked it more than the premiere. Um, this show clearly benefits from this strong ensemble cast of really great actors. And Disco just hums and zips along with confidence when we're getting character-based A stories, B stories, and C stories that are thematically connected and each, in their own unique way, feed into the overall story of the season. And that's what they delivered in this episode. Like, it felt rich. Like, the pacing was perfect. The tone was right where it should be. Not grim, dark, but there were real stakes and threats. Not too jokey and light, but there was really good humor throughout the entire hour. This is Discovery running on all cylinders. There are multiple problems for problems for our crew to solve, and they go to work. Like, they're lost, they're bruised, they're grounded physically, psychologically in many different ways, but they, they persevere, they get the job done, they reminded us about the positive ideals and the, the dignity of Starfleet and the Federation, not by telling us about it, like Michael Burdum did last week, but by acting it out, by acting like Starfleet, acting like Federation, and it was just solid. I found it to be um, it was really inspirational and fun. More like this, please. More, more, more. Yeah, I, I'm super excited. It was great. Mariah, I want to hear from you. Yeah, I also really love this episode. Agree with a lot of the things y'all have already said. I thought, um, fine. Anytime we get to see Michelle Yeoh just like kicking butt is a good episode in my mind. Um, I love that she was, you know, kicking around Leland around the ship literally um, <laughs> on her boots. And uh, yeah, there was so much I loved about it. I thought it was very reminiscent of the original series in many ways. Um, and I know like, I think now with the Mandalorian being out, everyone's like, Oh, space Westerns, it's star Wars. And now star Trek is like a space Western. Just saying the original series was marketed as a space Western. Mm-hmm. And so it is truly going back to its roots. Um, And not that there's anything wrong if you like the other star franchise. Um, But this episode, like when they're going through the wormhole, there's like references back to the original movies and the way that they're like moving and frozen and the like the the imagery there. And so I thought there was just a lot of smart layers of new storytelling techniques that we get in New Trek while honoring and referencing the fact that this crew is coming from the time period of the original series, like before the original series. And so I thought that was very smart. And um, yeah, we get a whole Tilly episode. What's not to love about this episode. We get to see Tilly really coming into her own and having this great relationship with Saru. I think some really interesting things have been set up for the rest of the season. As far as like interpersonal relationships, we're going to get to see, um, yeah, I just loved it. We got to see, uh, you know, Stamets and Colbert kiss again on screen all the time. Give it to me more. I want it all. Um, and we get to see Tilly try to drop an F-bomb. And in true Tilly style, she doesn't get to do it. <laughs> and um, and then Jet Reno, just MVP of the episode. Every time. 
she's on screen. I just laugh. So great, great episode overall. Grand Davis. I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you guys. This is such a fun episode. The entire way through it, the, the whole crew being back together, the crash and the ship being in, in dire straits, being eaten by parasitic ice, um, the the jockeying for power for between Saru, who's trying to assert, "Hey, I am commander," and Giorgio, who's like, "We need someone who, who has uh, might and authority and and a certain um, wrath <laughs> about her uh, to kind of step in." Um, I thought it was great because you know everyone else is kind of paying deference to Saru. They recognize like you're the top dog. But there was almost this point, I, I thought, at least for the audience, of kind of watching along and going, is she making a play for power? Is she going to get that power? Are people going to, in this in this future world, going to need what she brings to the table? And, I mean, that's just like, that's just one part of this. I'm supposed to just give an overall review right here. <laughs> I guess, hot freak. Um, but it was just so fun seeing all of them back together. I, I completely agree. I liked the first episode, but I, I do recognize that there is something missing and not having the rest of the squad here and how everyone played off of each other. I thought the writing was really tight. The cinematography was fantastic. There were some really cool, like long extended tracking shots that were just like, Ooh, I, I like what they're doing here in a way they disorient me. And, and that's kind of what I'm supposed to feel at this moment. It's all just really fun. This is a fun episode, and I'm I'm so on board for where it ended and where we're going for the rest of the season. Hey, Grant, you know you you mentioned some of the shots, and that scene with Stamets coming out of the coma was mm. absolutely brilliant to me. The upside down, and then well, well not just pivot. that, but but him being in that room all alone. The sound mm-hmm. design he, was dope. The, it was incredible. And then as he's coming into focus, right, and, and as he's coming out of the coma, he's in a room filled, like it's a trauma ward. Right. And so just the way they shot that, the way they brought you into that, I was just like, wow. Like, it, it was so just brilliantly done. That scene, and then the other scene where um, Colbert enters into the hallway Mm-hmm. After Detmer leaves and he's realizing there's something off about her, but he can't quite place it. Yeah. And the spit the the shot like spins around, tracking him, tracking her back down the hallway as he's she's leaving, and everyone else moving through the hallway. What a great shot! Yeah, I think last week we got a lot of like kind of long, kind of artsy, labored shots at the beginning of Michael picking herself back mm-hmm. up after like crashing, and it it just kind of threw the pacing off, and it felt like. It took, a, for me anyway, it felt like it took a while for the episode to get going because we were getting kind of these very specific um, cinematic shots of her uh, dealing with her situation. Um, they did that here in this episode. Everybody pretty much got uh, a, a nice hero shot or hero moment or something specific like Stamets waking up, even when um, Saru and Tilly, uh, we got kind of like a getting their gear on and getting ready to go kind of hero shots from them as well. And a lot of characters got little shots, cinematic, overly cinematic, dramatic shots in this episode that looked great, but they didn't feel labored. I thought they were nice and brisk and they reminded us, Hey, this is your crew. 
these are the people you like, they're back, and we're going to hit the ground running. And it was badass. Mm-hmm. On yeah. that note, and I know we kind of touched on this a little bit, but did y'all think this episode kind of worked better as an introduction to the season and to the new world that we're looking at here? <laughs> I know you didn't like that first episode, but I really did. I, I so, liked it, but there, I had issues with it, sure. But I think, Mike, I think so, some of the things that have been said tonight already make me understand what you were feeling last week, right? Mm-hmm. Last week, I thought was a great episode. I really did. And I thought it was a wonderful uh, episode that showcased uh, Shaniqua Martin-Green's really, her, her her ability. The thing is, it was very different from the ensemble Star Trek show that we were looking at. It was really about her. It, was, it, it almost would... It's an, it's one of those episodes you would expect if we were watching TNG that comes in the middle of the season, right? Like in the middle of like the third season where we're watching like, you know, it's one of those episodes where we're watching Picard and Vosh go off on an, an exploration, right? Yeah. It's so singular perspective. And so I can see why it was so different. But I thought it was great. This the and 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 I thought that what they were looking to do in the in the premiere was to take one person and show us in detail what the world was like. So we got a chance to see that there's no dilithium crystals, right? We got a chance to see that everything that we kind of know is thrown out the window. It, we are now literally back in the wild wild west, right? Where you've got a market and all this other stuff. Whereas this episode took us through what happened to that ensemble, right? And introduced the ensemble to this world. So I feel like they, even though this probably should have been part two, I get why why they call, you know, the first episode part one. And this is really, you know, maybe there's a part two later because who who knows the hell what the writers are doing. (laughs) But, um, But I do think if you put them together, you get the complete picture. And I don't know that they work, without each other. Sure. Yeah, I agree with you, Clyde. I almost view these as a part one and two in my mind as like the full story. Um, Cause to me, the ending of the f- premiere episode of this season was sort of like the midpoint of act two, right? Like mm. we get the midpoint of act two. If we thought of this as like a hero's journey sort of story structure, and then we, essentially get to that point where the team up has to happen, which is what usually occurs in act two, right? You go to see the the Oracle or the goddess. And that is like where you get all of your information. And we needed Burnham to sort of bring us there and give us the backstory. And I think having a knowledge of what this future is like was helpful in watching this particular episode, because you get to get excited as Tilly is uncovering the puzzle because you know something that she doesn't know. And I think a lot of times that's really successful writing because your audience feels like they're in on something. And so they have like a vested interest in these characters as they're moving forward. So um, I thought it was a smart way to pivot it. Like, again, I probably would have liked to have seen like the very beginning of this episode at the very end of the last episode. Um, or something like Burnham gets the, like a signal pops up, like something along those lines, but it seems like we're going to get the, we're going to get that (laughs) montage. I think the next episode of her sort of doing things over the next year and explaining what's been going on. Um, or getting that, that brand new hair. Yes. (laughs) One year of hair. 
growth. Um, That's what we're going to get. One year, four feet of new hair. <laughs> yeah. Um, the- I mean, we don't know what hair care products, you know, in the what 33rd century is. We don't, we don't know what the hair care products are. We don't. We do know that apparently bartenders are still having to constantly just wipe off tables and clean <laughs> cups. Clean Even in the yes. future, bartenders are old-timey bartenders. It's funny you mentioned that. It's funny where you know the, the term space western has come up because that bar literally had saloon doors. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they, they kind of beamed into the into the bar, but then they still had to open the saloon doors. I mean so he, great. He, what was it? Cal literally just created this replica, this oh, tool. It was like, oh, was it's cool. really easy. Yeah. But yet, you've got wooden bars and salon door, saloon doors. Like, it was kind of like, yeah, wouldn't your, wouldn't your, your what your super sci-fi futuristic bar be a little bit more high tech than uh than that? <laughs> um, going back to a little bit to what you guys were talking about, though. Um, as far as the the two episodes, the two episode intro, I agree, Mariah. I think it's like it's acting as a two parter, and I think it was a really smart choice to have um, Alatunde uh, Osun Sami uh, direct both of them because mm-hmm. they both just definitely have this very similar visual style mm-hmm. that links them together. But I, you know, we've we've already hit on this a few times: the mystery of the naming of the episode. That first episode being that Hope is You Part One. And then this one just being called Far From Home, they don't seem to link together. What I think is interesting is Alatunde is going to be directing the f- the finale of this season as well. And currently it's called Outside. But I wonder if they might instead have this kind of plan to rename it before it comes out to be the part two. That kind of is the hope is you intro and end cap. Mm-hmm. And in, in that regard, if we look at this as a whole season... It may more, make more sense about this idea of Burnham's journey from the beginning to her being this beginning spark of hope and what that kind of blossoms into. And Furthermore, I would like to just point out, I bet this does a better job than Star Wars did with their hope. And Grant, like I said, who the hell knows what the writers are doing? Uh, <laughs> well, I talking think- about um, episode titles... Just real quick, a, a quick sidebar. There is an episode in this season that is titled, it comes in the middle of the season, Unification Part 3. And Unifications Part 1 and 2 were TNG episodes. Whoa. Yeah. And that was an arc in which um, Picard and Spock worked together to try and reunify the Romulans and the Vulcans with the Federation. And it didn't quite work out so great, but... Unification Part 3 is going to be in Discovery. So I think we're going to see some Romulans and some Vulcans pretty soon. Yeah, I've seen some uh, internet talk about how the Romulans were one of the few warp-capable species that don't need dilithium in order to uh, achieve warp capabilities. And so everyone was just like, the Romulans should be sort of dominating space at this point, if that is true. Um, So perhaps this has something to do with that. Yeah, they, they fuel their ships with uh, Romulan ale, right? Yep, exactly. Yep. Yeah. So uh, can we talk a little bit about uh, Giorgio and Saru and their relationship here? Are yeah. we going to also bring up Linus? 
And Linus, <laughs> what, what's going on with him and his hey, magic? Do you think I, his eyes could see all the way to the bar? And he was like, oh, yeah, we're over at that bar. That's where you need to go. I, I'm just I'll, happy I'll he's not up. sneezing. He's, he's over that cold. I mean. He's over the cold. <laughs> um, Feeling better. It really seemed like she was coming on to him. So I don't know if she had some more um, physical needs after that lashing she had with. Uh, wow. <laughs> at this point, she just comes on to everybody. But she, was, she definitely wanted to use those peepers. For something. For something. Yeah, yeah. And Binoculars. Just yeah. Linus, look over here. It was, I mean, pretty, yeah. it's, we I can just like, say she's... it was just simply, you know, track them and I'm going to follow them and I'm going to, you know, yeah. Right, yeah. I'm assuming um, she was flirting her way to get something she wanted, but it came off very uh, sexually tension in that hallway. Yes. <laughs> what, what did you guys think about the tension between Saru sticking to his Federation ideals all throughout this episode, despite what he went through and Giorgio just using her shoot first and ask questions style, uh, ask questions later style. It, it felt to me as though, I guess we're going to just keep on this theme for a while. We're in this saloon. It feels like a Western. Giorgio is acting as though she's in a Western, right? Hey, everybody's got a gun. You got to bring your gun. Saru is acting like he's in the future. And so I'm looking and going, maybe there's a compromise here. Maybe what we're looking at is they'll help each other find a middle ground. But he's so steadfast and no, we're going to be this. And and I can see that he's trying to almost single-handedly bring back the Federation. But I stand by my earlier point. You had the big bad right there right you could have ended all the drama that is coming and you said no by me sparing his life it'll be okay newsflash they just you killed a bunch that. of other people in the saloon like exactly you killed like, a whole bunch of people Giorgio, but you didn't let him go Giorgio snapped a dude's neck with her thighs oh well, that was awesome was too so and a little like i know yeah, girl. I, I, mean, I was like i wouldn't be mad about being that face um <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> I, I definitely like I don't even the, know how to come out of that <laughs> you're welcome I, I definitely like the jockeying for power going on between them and I, I you know it has deeper roots when you consider that this Giorgio is the mirror ver- verse Giorgio who looks at Saru as food right <laughs> <Lunch>. <laughs> he, he is he is a fear-based organism, as far as she knows, because you know they were unfamiliar with the the puberty process, or whatever it was called. So she can immediately recognize that the Kelpians that she's familiar with are not said are, are not going to be capable of handling the stress of the situation they're in. Her stepping in and challenging him kind of pushes him to have to recognize and really put his foot down and make decisions. He made mistakes. He should not have gone to that saloon just with Tilly. I don't know if they would have walked out of that situation had it not been for her having his back there. But I thought, you know, what's interesting, Clyde, is you're calling that guy the big bad, but clearly she's the bigger bad in that room. Oh yeah. She, for sure. When she walked in the there, I was like, bad. I was like, those guys, those guys are fucked. Bye, bye. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's going to destroy them. In fact, I was surprised that the writing would even allow her to have gotten shot at all. Stunned. Cause she likes in it. In the torture thing. Well, she <laughs> yeah. But, she likes take it. 
That thing was a murder gun on the first guy. <laughs> you gotta just hold it in there. Yeah. See, see, that was him underestimating Giorgio, right? Mm-hmm. But, but isn't it also a little bit disappointing seeing that she was getting shot multiple times and Saru and Tilly were, were just kind of standing there, helpless? I don't know I mean, what I kind were, of expected. If you were in a room with Michelle Yeoh and she's going to kick some ass, wouldn't you also just take a step back and like watch? Just... Oh damn! Well, yeah, I yeah. mean, Saru uh, does shoot his bit. little darty things, and you know, at the end, I do think I wish I'd seen Tilly kick a little ass. I wanted it just a little bit. I understand she just lost like her entire past, present, and future, and everything is new. And she also just crash landed on a ship. Um, so Tilly was off this episode, maybe right? a little. Yeah, I feel like she her her wits were about her, but I think she's still feeling a little jarred physically about what she could do is like the vibe I was getting was like, everything is new. I'm the weirdo again. What is going on? And intimidated. And I can't believe that you would jump into the future on this limited crew and still be referred to as ensign. (laughs) I was like, didn't you get a promotion at that point? (laughs) Hashtag facts right there. She'll get there. Um, But I loved at the, every moment that man called her sweetheart, I just wanted to reach through my screen and punch. He was a good villain. Zara right in the freaking face. And so at the end, when she smashes him over the head with the bottle, I was like, I wanted that even harder. Like if I was the director, I'd (laughs) be like, let's do that one more time. But like, even harder. With some pokes. Yeah. At least she got <laughs> at least she got that moment right because she did hide behind the bar for most of the the fight or all the fight. And there's some there's some uh debate going on in the chat, some disappointment mm-hmm. with with the yeah. the way Tilly was characterized in this episode as kind of regressing back into the more fearful version of Tilly, the more unsure version, but I think I think all of that unfortunately was somewhat of a detriment to the character in this episode, but it's I think it was more to feed the idea that um, Saru's leadership style and Giorgio's leadership or run and gun first style are going to have to, they're at odds, obviously, in this episode, but they're going to have to, um, Saru and the crew is going to have to learn how to blend those two styles to exist and persist in this Mm -hmm. new world. And we saw some of that through Tilly. Of course, Tilly was shocked and freaked out like everyone was when they landed in this new, crash landed in this new universe. But uh, she was even knocked down a few more rungs when Giorgio decided just to rail into her. And what happens after that, you immediately see Saru building her back up in a kind, subtle way. So you have that dynamic, those, those two styles butting heads Um, And unfortunately, it did kind of get taken out on Tilly a little bit, you know, um, Giorgio beating her up and bringing her down, Saru slowly bringing her back up, and then her finding her own, I guess, um, uh, drive when she decides to knock the bottle over the guy's head. And hopefully we'll see more more agency from Tilly like we have in the past uh, coming up. Well, Mike, I I think. Oh, go ahead, Mariah. Oh, um, I was just going to say, I thought we also saw that glimmer uh, right when they enter the saloon and they all point their guns. And Tilly is the one Mm -hmm. who's like, I'm going to rattle off this obscure Starfleet manual thing and really calm this whole situation down. So you sort of get to bring up dilithium, right? And bring up Mm -hmm. the dilithium. And so she's using, I think, that compromise too, where she's like, oh, I have something of value and I can 
barter because I've seen this on the planet, you know, with Giorgio back when they were on like the Klingon planet, right? And they had to sort of deal with all of that in the the merchantile there. And then she also knows she can be kind and use the Federation sort of ethos to get what they need. Which is totally what Saru like saw in her. And that's Mm -hmm. what he was trying to point out. Like you can handle this. I think the the disappointment is it's a little confusing, right? And we've seen these glimpses. I mean, look, everybody loves Captain Killy, right? Every, everybody just loves Captain Killy. But what I, I keep thinking about is that when she, first of all, for her to see Captain Killy means that she got a glimpse of who she could be, right? So she's talked about wanting to be a captain, but to see that she, in another kind of parallel universe, becomes one of the most badass captains in the universe, like that has to do something to your confidence, to the way you see yourself. And then to pretend to be that person convincingly and seeing what happens when you have a little confidence, a little bit of swag, I, I think it's almost as though we've just forgot that that happened. Like, or she has forgotten that that's happened. And now we're getting a little bit different. And it's it's this mixing pot of, oh, well, Saru has believed in her and has encouraged her to to, to look to get promoted and to, to do the officer training. And, and I think you've got Giorgio over here who's looking like, no, I've seen how badass you can be. I'm going to give you a little bit of tough love and push on you a little bit. And, and it just doesn't seem like the narrative is that consistent or linear really it's it's kind of but swirling around for me a little bit i yeah. i agree with you on some aspects there clyde but i would say she also saw that killy was a killer and was like capital yeah. b bad you know and so yeah. it's like if that darkness resides in whatever parallel universe it's like her trying to counteract that is probably over pushing herself on the goodness side of things. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like it's the yeah. fear of the darkness within. Also, I can rationalize it by thinking I'm never, who among us is really consistent in our character? You know, we can be in life with our challenges, with our shifting environment. You know, I can, I can be a smart person. I can be a competent person, but in certain situations, all that falls away And we see that a lot with Tilly. And I think um, the show has set her up as this type of person who is nervous and gets chatty when she's nervous. But also underneath all those ticks or whatever you want to call them is very competent. So we do see that throughout. Um, I want to talk more about like Saru and how he related to the crew in this episode. I think Saru, because I think it's important. I think Saru as acting captain really set the template for how the disco crew is going to interact with this strange new future universe. I think he kind of tried to frame it all so perfectly at the start of this episode. We're in a new place. We're all anxious to learn what is out there, but we're going to face this new universe with intellect and respect and friendship, and we'll try to do no harm to anyone, even if that means not telling them who we are and where we're from because we have all this information that could potentially damage the future. So like that really just, just told us a prime directive first contact rules are kind of still in play. You know, we're still kind of in the Star Trek world. 
So I I thought this episode did a great job of framing how this crew is going to exist and move forward in this universe this season. And then it also gave us that added um, benefit of having George Rowe on the crew being this wild card saying, hey, sometimes you got to come in and just blast some fucking hits. So we're going to see the crew and how how this Starfleet crew um, interacts with the world evolve, which I think is great. He also said, um, you know, we want to explore out there and see what's going on out there. But first, we need to take care of what's going on in here. Yeah. And that f- seemed like such a good, like, uh, like self-care, self-love kind of uh, uh, thing that has been a recurring uh discussion topic i think for us of like these people need to look out for themselves and and consider themselves first and a lot of times they're not doing that and i thought like in a way he was he he comes across as a very sensitive and compassionate uh commander uh captain and it's like already being able to to pinpoint the differences in what saru's style is from pike in approach pike would probably have been like we're sending a team out there while we're taking care of this and this and mm-hmm. like saru's like no we're going to everyone just take a step back take a breath check on have a buddy and <laughs> let's all work together right and it was like a very cute um cute approach that saru had but also you know it, it's it's fascinating to just see how that's going to develop as the season goes on See, I, I was struggling with Saru, and I'm I've, I was mixed because I think early as on, always, as always, especially as captain, because there's this moment at the beginning where everything is going crazy. The ship is about to just it, it's going to be devastated. Kara is 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 saying, "Hey, we don't we we can't do this," and he goes recommendations lieutenant and i was like dude are you insane like that is not the time to go anybody got an idea like (laughs) (laughs) what do you think that there are teachable moments in the middle of a crisis not one Uh, but she stepped up and that was her hero moment right true yes i just her detriment (laughs) yeah i just thought that there's probably a faster more you know, more direct method of getting there. And then later on, I see the compassion. I'm going, all right, well, maybe I, I can see how there's some benefit to him. But then I go back and going, all right, yeah, most seasoned captains would have put, I don't know, some tactical person, some mm-hmm. security personnel said, hey, we're going. Like, even, I don't want to call her brace face, but um, non. even. Non. Non. She's like, her? Like, you can't take both of them? Like, in a fight, you want Nan with you. Mm -hmm. I think you hit on something really, really good there, Clyde. Um, You said seasoned. Saru, his leadership style is rooted in compassion, which which is what the Federation and Starfleet is all about. But yeah, he hasn't been captain that long. He hasn't been commander that long. He needs a little seasoning. In this episode, I think we... We saw him. That's what Giorgio said. Get some seasoning. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I'm glad you beat me to it, Clyde. <laughs> because she eats Kelpians. Okay. Did you all enjoy uh, reconnecting with the rest of the crew? Did everybody feel true to character to you in this episode? Yeah. I'm really interested to see where they're going with uh, Kayla's storyline. Um, our our uh, pilot, um, she you know takes a pretty big tumble over the console and, you know, I think there is 
you know, a, a couple of possibilities with her character. It's either, you know, a concussion that's kind of going un, uh, undiagnosed from the medical team, or perhaps it's something with her implant is going wrong. Or It's, it's a Rutherford thing, isn't it? Right. Maybe there's a Rutherford <laughs> thing happening. Um, but there's also the potential, you know, I joked at the beginning that Leland is still kicking around on Michelle Yeoh's boots, but... Uh, <laughs> What if there are some pieces of control still left? I mean, it could be, I, I don't really want to revisit control, but there is the possibility that there's something going on. Perhaps there's just they made too. They made too much of a point of showing it though, right? It's got to be coming so back. Much, so yeah. much biohazard material that poor Gene, I've already forgotten your name, it was cleaning up. Gene um, is totally going to be also, I bet there's going to be a whole bunch of like active control units, but only like kind of partially. Right. Like, like well, I so, think it, if it is control, it's only going to be Kayla because she has the uh, cybernetic component to her body mm-hmm. in which control can manifest. To Grant's point, right. And, and this is why I'm not a huge fan of the previously on because the previously on mm-hmm. almost always telegraphs. Yeah what's like what they want you to know and what's coming. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was super awkward that this is a, you know, maybe it's a part two. I mean, it's, I'm considering it a part two. It's the second episode, but the previously on was all about the finale, Mm -hmm. right? It was all about, and, and this aspect of the finale that we didn't touch in the premiere. And I'm looking and going, well, no, we've already done the this, where are they now and what, hap- what happened to them last. Now you're going back and you're getting me all of this control. When control goes, I'll be back to, to, to the audience. <laughs> I was right. like, oh, that's really heavy-handed, man. <laughs> and, and last week, it really was set up that control is gone, that we're really focused on the burn. We're focused on things. You're about to give me a new big bad. But now it's all about control. So if it hadn't been for that, then it'd be an interesting surprise. And probably, you know, by episode, I don't know, six, we'd all be like, <gasps> and now I'm like, eh, I see this coming and I don't want it. Yeah, it was great so. getting um, getting more for, for Kayla to do. You know, we're getting more yes. of, the, of, the, of the, the, the smaller characters or the, the bridge characters that don't do a lot of talking. They're actually doing stuff now. So I thought... This episode, just to talk about the reintroduction of the characters, it was, it was great banter, it was great emotional beats for a lot of our characters, uh, really fun, a very deep sense of like where these characters stand with each other was communicated to kind of remind us where their relationships are and who they are to each other. Uh, like Stamets and Colbert, like their dynamic was, I thought, more charged and energetic and interesting than it's been for the entire show. Um, They were just there for each other. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, uh, uh, Colbert got to be on the other side of things that normally Stamets is on, right? Because Mm -hmm. Stamets was Mm -hmm. the one who was injured. He was not doing really well. He had to be put into a coma. And so I think anytime there is a huge point of, is it healthy that their relationship seems to be based around trauma at this point? Probably (laughs) not. Um, do I hope they come to a resolution about that? Absolutely. Um, I loved the, if you can spell this, you can go. Um, what was it? I, I got put, my husband put me in a coma and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. Like, when is that coming out? I need the shirt. Um, With a hyphen. Is there a counselor on the ship? 
Not that we've seen. No, because they gonna need no. they gonna need one. They are definitely gonna need. I think they Colbert are, they're met not with allowed one, to have one. He? There's Last gonna be. Season? Oh yeah, Colbert might have met with one. Um, but there's a bird. That's a. Uh, <laughs> that's counselor. the other show. That's the other show. Um, but yeah, and I thought I I appreciate the Jet Reno character and that it presents a lot of the techno babble with humor, and I find that yeah. so much oh, more digestible. Tig Tig Notaro, like thank God Jet Reno. Yes made the trip to the future. Tig Notaro on this show is such a gift. Like oh, she just amazingly like makes everything feel grounded and yeah. funny with her quips and her attitude. Even when she's spouting the most like nonsensical techno babble any Trek fan has ever heard. Like she oh, just, everyone knows that like uh, wormholes are like G force like times ten or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just like Oh, okay. perfect. I, I wanted to see how many people were going to say EPS conduit um, in, yeah. in one, one yeah. show. Yeah. You know, it sucks that uh, uh, I was listening to the pod directive, the official Star Trek podcast. The latest episode had an interview with uh, Tig, yeah. which is amazing. Her and Paula, Tompkin, Paula Tompkins. And Tig is not going to be in every episode this season, unfortunately. Mm. She's like, I'll be around. I'll be gone for maybe three or four episodes and I'll pop back in. And oh. she's like, that's the way I like it. That's that's what I want to do on this show. I love this show. But I don't want to be on in Vancouver all year. <laughs> <laughs> Toronto. Well, I, I just, yeah. Toronto, yeah. <laughs> I just want to say kudos to the Star Trek team for handing out SAG cards like, you know, they were they were so many coupons. random speaking parts. Yeah. Random True. people. We've gone two seasons with like the same eight people talking. And all of a sudden you got people showing up for almost no reason, like, did you call me? Did were you were you looking for me? Clyde, no, I wasn't looking for you. Okay. It's season three of The Office, right? All of a sudden, all the background characters are talking, mm-hmm. and it's great. Mm-hmm. Man, we talked recently. I already did this plug at the beginning of our episode where I said uh, that we just discussed Star Trek Beyond on our Patreon. Hey, uh, patreon.com slash Star Trek pod. But um, there's a scene in that movie that I was, I was talking about where it was so heavy-handed because every single character in that like takes a turn like formulating a little piece of the puzzle of this master plan of how they're going to defeat uh the big bad idris elba at the end of the movie that movie's stupid by the way (laughs) but (laughs) there's a scene at the very beginning of this episode where everyone's um where the ship's about to crash onto the planet and saru is running point and you have all of those characters who you know like Clyde said, for two years, had not even had speaking roles that were chiming in with different ideas. And the conversation was going back and forth. And Saru was point man, like pinging ideas off of everyone. It felt very naturally conversational and like strong leadership. Whereas mm-hmm. that other scene just felt, felt like movie hokiness to me. And mm-hmm. I was just like, that is that is when a leader on a ship can direct everyone and bring their feedback and and make crucial decisions at and at a crucial time hey i'm just saying yeah we're in a down economy <laughs> it's hard out there on people you don't know they got when these acting gigs you know what i'm saying like there's like a lot of people at home you know so hand out the lines i'm just saying if you have an opportunity to give somebody some insurance some health care right you know, get them some a SAG, SAG membership. Then, <laughs> hey, Kurtzman, I applaud you for taking care of people. That's awesome. and, and he is taking it, care of people because um, and it it didn't take away from the show, mm-hmm. right? To Grant's point, it enriched it's not, it. 
the 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 ensign or whatever who showed up talking to Tig, talking about, hey, did you call for help? And she's like, uh, no. That didn't exactly enrich the show. But <laughs> they needed someone to be able to go run and get Culber. That's like the whole reason. Comms were down. Internal comms were down. Yeah. yeah. So they needed uh, uh, someone to come and bug Tig in order for them to go get Culber. Because with the, her back, she was not running anywhere. Mm, right. True. <laughs> the, the, I mean, and that was great keeping her there with Stamets because their mm-hmm. dynamic is amazing and yes. so fun. And, you know, she is always butting heads with him. But even she was really concerned about him going up to do this, the you know, tube. wiggle in the Jeffrey's tube because he's fucked up. And uh, totally going against what Saru told everyone, let's take care of ourselves before we go out and venture and push ourselves. Um, and, of course, that's what Stamets does. So that was it. so true to character. Yeah. He's so stubborn. And I thought <laughs> she had such a great line that I thought was really, like, something that was just nice to hear right now where it was, like, so- something along the lines of, like, uh helplessness is not forever it's just a feeling and it doesn't like limit your potential something along those lines but it was just it was like a nice thing where it was like right like you can feel helpless in a moment and ask for help it doesn't make you a mm-hmm. bad person well and i i <laughs> and then love Stamets that is like nah, nah. <laughs> well see here's what i loved I about can do it it was it was it felt a little familiar because i was thinking oh look at this we're in the future. We're far, far in the future. Far and from male, home. Yeah, far from home. And male stupidity is still a thing. Yep. That's good to know. <laughs> the ego is still there. It's a little heartwarming. We're not going to just get rid of all of the stupid things. But I was like, dude. Speaking of uh, male stupidity, <laughs> Clyde, you kept referring to him as a potential big bad. Um, but I really did. I found the uh, Tim Rothian evil courier in this episode Zara. Zara 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 Tim Rothian yeah oh, I like it yeah he's played by an actor named Jake Weber who I hope mm-hmm. returns to the show someday I found him to be a really credible threat like he was really good in the role he was like not only credible as this dangerous threat but his character also kind of filled in the gaps about the whole cur- courier culture of the u- the new universe mm-hmm. like we learned about how the couriers work and how they can effectively become like these kind of ruthless overlords over these colonies like uh, Immortan Joe in right. Mad Max, like controlling all the resources and gaining their power through that force. That was cool. Yeah. And it was a good callback to uh, Book's character mm-hmm. yeah. and his relationship with um, the other smuggler slash courier mm-hmm. that uh, he had a bad run-in with. Uh, yeah, he th- That actor is from... Um, Homeland. He had a, a a pretty significant arc on Showtime's Homeland as a kind of a alt right podcast hmm. like hmm. TV show personality, and so he's really good. I didn't know those existed. At, yeah, at, at what are you talking playing, about? <laughs> <laughs> but he he knows how to play this depth of kind of almost noble crazy like evil really well and so i mean having seen his work i'm under no illusion that we've seen him for the last time yeah i would love to have him yeah, back for sure he was great yeah um do we want to dive into some of these comments oh well i had one other thing i was going to bring up which was zara uses the term vadrash for the uh or ver- whatever you pronounce it uh for the federation which the only other time we've heard that is in the short trek calypso 
uh, one of my favorite short tracks, which is a great short track. And so, um, you know, that was after the ship had been abandoned for a thousand years. And so that's very, anyway, I'm just very interested in where the timelines line up. All right, Mike, I'm glad you don't want to listen to what I have Mike to say. Mike didn't care. He was <laughs> like, I, I'm done with that. Got something for you, Mike. You're just going to leave us here. That's fine. <laughs> He's disappeared. Yeah, yeah. We don't need you, Mike. Yeah, I, I had a question yeah. for you two. Mm-hmm. Um, is Reese the number, is it number one now? Is that the uh, first officer? Is Reese the first he's officer? Because when he's Saru, the lieutenant, um, who's usually at weapons, I believe. Yeah, oh. he. Um, hey, I'm back. And Mike's back. <laughs> hey, welcome back, Mike. We uh, missed you. We couldn't do this without you. Internet problems. And, and Mike, maybe maybe you have some insight on this as well. I was just asking them: Is Reese the new first officer? Because when Saru leaves the bridge. He puts Reese in charge. He's like, Reese, take over Com Con? Con. Take over Con. con. The, the Con control. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um and but I was like, he, oh, maybe he's con. the second in charge. But then. but he leaves Nan in charge of the overall ship repairs. Yeah, but isn't she kinda like Shaxx? Like she's security, head of security? I, I'm not I mean it, it's it, I'm still trying to learn what all so, the roles are. I don't are. think Nan has a designation yet because she was right. on the Enterprise and she just mm-hmm. hopped over at the end of last season. So the thing about it is, whoever has the con is to first of all, it can literally be anybody on the on the bridge. So you think Nan has the con? No, no. no. What I'm saying is, <laughs> when the officer on deck Come on, leaves Dr. the Seuss bridge, right, or the, whoever's the officer who has the watch, when they leave the bridge, mm-hmm. they can designate almost anybody else in that room, usually the highest ranking member in that room. As you've got the bridge, you've got the con. It doesn't mean that that it's the XO, the executive officer, the number one, because that person just may not be in the room. So it's hard to know who is the most senior officer on the ship, not just the bridge. Because Saru was the number one to Mm -hmm. Pike on the ship at the time, slash acting, co-acting captains was sort of how they approached it. So. The, the chain of command is very blurry at this point on Discovery. And it would have sure. been potentially like Burnham, probably. It, what you're looking for is you're looking for a lieutenant commander. Mm-hmm. You're looking for that. That's the rank that you're looking for for the, the next person, the, the XO of the ship. Right. And and the interesting thing about it is that is the commander is still Saru's rank. So I know I'm getting way into geeky. That's anyway. why we're here, my friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, diving into some of these comments, Chris Rogers says of Tilly, you can be strong and have setbacks in that strength at the most significant loss in your of your life. And that makes perfect sense. Yeah, Tilly not only lost her world, her time, she lost her friend, Michael. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I mean, I, I don't think it was inconsistent in the writing so much as it was just it it was a different take on her character from where i thought we had seen her kind of been built built up but in the context of a ship crashing losing her relationship with her mother who it was toxic but it was still a relationship (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. forever (laughs) and everyone else outside of that ship that they had known it's okay for all of them to be kind of undergoing a little bit of trauma here Mm -hmm. I just thought that it was a different character to a degree that she was babbling and nervous and uncomfortable rather than having a bit of that swagger, I guess. Very true. All right. What else do you guys have to say in the comments? 
Ooh, let's see what they have oh, yeah. to say. Uh, Kern is reminding us that there's no counselor mm-hmm. on Discovery, obviously, because everybody's fucked. But uh, last season, w- the reason we remember Colbert talking to somebody is because he talked with Cornwell, because she used to be a counselor. She's got a, that counselor background. Yeah. Now yeah. she did. It, c- counselors are the new red shirt, apparently. If you become a counselor, <laughs> you're just going to get killed. Don't do it. Um, Chris Rogers says, uh, it's a tiny and, and, and nothing, but uh, Reno did mention knee plus ultra, which is the apex or highest aspect. And a bad guy did mention Nadir, the lowest point in a, a span of a minute or two. Right. Science which, references. <laughs> There's another super nerdy reference in the title cards. Are y'all uh, familiar with the Einstein Rosenbridge? Yeah. Excellent. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> not enough to explain it to anyone. Anyway, but apparently yes. there. I is mean, I know, a, I know, of course, but you know, for people who don't, can you explain it? Yes, yes. So the, it is, it is essentially that you can time travel using a, wor- a wormhole, um, and there is a diagram of that in uh, towards the end of the opening credits of Discovery. Now. There's also a new little robot that shows up in the yes. opening credits. It looks yeah, like Eve some, from Wally. A few little differences, it, and it's with Stamets when he's in that Jeffrey's tube. Why it was not helping him, I don't know, but oh, it was in there. That was like a floating camera, wasn't it? Do you guys think that, that Jet Reno is going to die and her voice is going to live on inside of that robot? I hope no, not. No, I want to see Tig. Yeah, yeah. I want Tig. Um, <laughs> I also thought it was. Uh, it's a terrible idea. Oh, I was going somewhere with a fun science reference, and now I've lost it. Anyway, doesn't matter. Bring back the science. Here, here's another thing I want to point out and potentially bitch about. How many people were on Discovery when they decided to go through a wormhole into the future? Because I was under the impression from the other episode that it was maybe about like eight of 12 them. to 20 yeah. people, right? Apparently it was it's a whole lot of people now. But <laughs> that ship is massive, and when Saru is just kind of sauntering around the hallways, everyone was in that one hallway. Like, everyone was <laughs> They sent out a mass there. email. If you want to stay, stay. If you want to go, go to the go. Enterprise. Everybody opted to stay. I mean, yeah. they ended up saying there's like 88 people, right? 88 people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a lot more people than I thought stayed on there. But, Me too. But here, yeah. Here's the thing that I appreciate, though. I appreciate that when that ship with all 88 people crash landed, I was so thankful that it didn't skid to the edge of a cliff mm. because I feel like that happens all the time. Instead, it was and just I was like, parasitic ice. Parasitic ice. I mean, I, look, I'll take something a little bit novel than the same old, hey, we're teetering on the edge of a cliff, which also happened in that movie that Grant doesn't like. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> he liked parts of the movie. To be fair, I think that happened in all of those movies, right? It happens in all all of them. Did y'all get, um, I got like oddly emotional watching this for the first time through when the Discovery was crashing. Like it felt very similar to me like the first time I saw the Enterprise crash. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't get emotional. I just kept thinking, damn, they take these really cool ships and crash them into planets like way too frequently. <laughs> I got to say on that note, um, last week when we saw Michael Burnham hit the ground and get hurt and, you know, complain about her back and stuff like in this episode, I felt the uh, the physical crash of the ship way more than 
just watching Michael Burnham. For some reason, it just felt so visceral. And watching Kayla fly over the con and, and hurt herself and watching Jet Reno screw up her back and everybody be tossed around the ship. Like, that's a trope of Star Trek, right? Oh, the ship's moving the and we're going to crash. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? At but, some point, there should be seatbelts. But in this episode, it felt it felt real. Well, I think, Mike, part of that is that you you were under no illusion whatsoever that they were going to kill Michael Burnham, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. It, it didn't matter how hard she hit that dirt. You knew she was popping back up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Right? When that ship crashed, you don't know I'll be honest, going. I didn't know who... I was like, oh, man, Kayla is done. The Plus, tension all the was shots real. of them, it seems like they were dead already before they, yeah. were, like, as they were going through Like, I, I, I'm surprised we didn't lose anybody. Like, I really thought there was going to be, like, somebody that you know and love was out. Yeah. But again, Kurtzman, making sure people got that health care. <laughs> love it. <laughs> I, I got I wanted to... Oh, go okay. ahead. Uh, great comment here from Chris Rogers. He says, overall, it already feels like the writers are feeling confident and emboldened by removing the timeline constraints for the most part. It feels like a new show with a sure and steady energy. I will say... I agree with that after watching this episode, for sure. Yeah. I, I just want to say, give it up to Chris Rogers, the f- fifth member of the podcast. <laughs> um, uh, th- go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I watched the uh, Ready Room um, for this episode that Will Wheaton hosts. Um, it's very Will Wheatney, and um, <laughs> <laughs> he loves Tilly so much. Um, but they had a really good interview with uh, Mary Wiseman and Doug Jones kind of talking about um, the relationship of those two characters throughout this series. And then they also talked about particularly filming all of the crashing for this episode. Because when you're an actor, everything is still. The camera is moving and you have to act like everything is moving. So a director is just yelling at you, left, right, left. And like Tilly was saying that she feels like she has, or Mary Wiseman was saying she has an an advantage because she has that giant ponytail. And she's like, my ponytail really does a lot of the acting for me. You can just get it (laughs) flying. And it looks like we're going bananas. (laughs) Oh, the courier in this episode, he was like, yeah, let's kill her and cut off her hair. We can trade it at the market. We can sell that. I was like, is this like his? Like what year is this? (laughs) So, so first of all, I I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking about the idea of Will Wheaton and Mary Wiseman slash Tilly and Wesley Crusher. Move on, my friend. (laughs) And then um, I got to say, it's this weird sexual tension in that salon, that saloon, because everybody's eyeing Tilly a bit like a piece of meat. Even Zara's looking at her like, mm, I don't know, I felt maybe like I keep you right. A little Clyde, chemistry between I'm not, Cal just, and Tilly. Like when they're sitting there and she's like all amazed at like him b- rebuilding the structure with the programmable matter. And then, you know, at one point he's like, Do you think I have what it takes to be Starfleet? You know, you felt like a little spark that was quickly crushed by the big bats. <laughs> That's true. That is two episodes in a row where you have the the person who is really in awe of and and wants to be a part of Starfleet because in the first episode we have the communication guy mm-hmm. at the very end who's in his his own little bubble and Burnham promotes him to being you are a Starfleet officer now and then and correct me if I'm wrong about it being an officer I don't know rank or whatever but but here you can see this kind of glimmer of hope that this guy could also potentially be a uh an officer. It's it's like it's like uh, the end of um, the eighth 
Star Wars movie where any kid could potentially be a Jedi, right? Right. And then like they that. said, "Nah, forget that." <laughs> and it, and it, and again, in in the last episode, the uh, the character who was a, a great character, and I like the way we were introduced to him, the guy who Michael like makes an officer. He just wanted to be a Starfleet officer or believe in the Federation um, because of his ancestry, right? His father, his grandfather before him. And it kind of felt like he was just already into it in a vacuum. This guy that we saw knew about the Federation, knew that it could be good, and then he saw them show up. And he was um, inspired by the way they tried to help. And that, I thought, was a much more potent um, characterization of someone being inspired by the Federation. Oh, I'm looking mm-hmm. at it. And it's changing my life. I want to be a part mm-hmm. of it. Right. It's right. powerful. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to get that in a number of a- episodes. Because what what I hope that we're seeing is the genesis of the new federation. Right. And it's we're going to see people all over the galaxy who are still believing and who are going to be part of that next generation of Starfleet officers. Hell yeah. Okay, I think we are good. Um, hold up, hold up, Mike. Uh-oh. One, one uh-oh. thing I wanted to, one thing I wanted to bring up. Probably one of my favorite parts of this episode. There is this suiting up of um, Saru and Tilly in this badass moment of, uh, we're going to go into the world and we're going to, we're, we're Star Trek Discovery. We're going to go explore this w- new world, right? And the door opens and then Saru just sashays out, just like, <laughs> whoop, 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 whoop. Like, Tilly's doing the badass walk and he's like, what do 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 do? That's how he walks. He's an alien. I loved it so much. That arm swing. I was literally thinking the arm swinging behind the back. That's got to be a little uncomfortable. That's a choice. That so is good. a choice. <laughs> yeah, I, I in the uh, ready room they talked about ha- filming on the like rocky beaches, on on these cliffs, and on glaciers. And in a lot of those scenes, he has to still wear the hoof shoes because if his feet are ever visible, he has to be wearing those. And then if he isn't like if the feet aren't visible, they put him in platform like giant platform boots, boots essentially. And um, he said they were at, filming this one portion where they have to walk from the edge of a cliff forward for the shot and so he's in his like little hoof boots and apparently mary wiseman was very concerned the whole time (laughs) and he has to take like a steadying like a walk like walk before the camera starts and he gets a little wobbly at first and she was just like freaking out the whole time (laughs) (laughs) well it's professional Let's uh, sashay our way out of this podcast, just like uh, Saru. Thank you so much for joining us on the pod this week. Remember, you can find us live on YouTube every Thursday talking about Trek. Of course, talking about Discovery Season 3, 9 p.m. Central, every single week. And we'll be covering Disco through the entire season. And you can also download the podcast, even if you watch this live pod. Even if you find this live pod... Uh, you're watching a replay on YouTube. We would love, we want you, we need you to download that podcast. So just go to StarTrekPod.co. Um, you can find us on Apple. You can find us uh, anywhere and just download that podcast. Subscribe. Do it. 
And leave us a five-star rating if you can, especially on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the pod. Um, And I know, shout out to all our Canadian fans out there that you don't get to join us live on Thursdays anymore because you can't watch it till Fridays. So please join us on the audio version or on the uh, rewatch on YouTube. But if you can, leave us that five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. And I know we're hitting the end, which is a little sad. You guys are all thinking, oh, man, I'm not going to see these guys for another week. Oh, no, my friend. You can join us for more if you go to patreon.com slash Star Trek pod and become a patron of our show. Give us $2 an episode and join our exclusive Slack channel where you can chat with us all day long. All about Trek, baby. Star Trek. That's patreon.com slash Star Trek pod. Hey, and I just want to say, do you even tweet, bro? Do you tweet, bro? <laughs> tweet, tweet. Because if you, if you do, make sure you... Let people know. Tweet about the episode. Tweet about the show. Uh, are you on IG? Let people know. So you can get at us on Twitter and Instagram. We're at Star Trek Pod. Share the love. And I just want to say shout out to Karen, who runs our Twitter, and James Worm, who runs our Insta. Thanks, James. Thanks, Karen. Thank you. Thank you. Couldn't do it without you. All right. Thanks to everybody again for joining us on the pod tonight. Mariah, where can we find you on the internets? Yes, I am at Mariah Gossett on all social platforms. That's Mariah with a Y and a Gossett with two S's and two T's. Clyde. I am. I never get that right. I am (laughs) at Clyde Haynes. You can hit me up um, on Twitter or find me on the web at www.keyandclyde.com. That's K-E-I and Clyde.com. Grant. Right here. Oh, I always get that right, Clyde. You do get it Look right. Look at that. I know. Mm, I had practice once you said that. Uh, <laughs> at Bear Run Grant. Mike Moody Garcia on Twitter and on the Insta. Thanks for listening. Live long and prosper. <laughs>